praise God, everybody. Come on, praise God, everybody. We greet you today in the grace, peace, joy, and love of God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love to the family. Thank God for his love that we can share with one another. Come on, if you know our God is a great God, would you offer him some great praise today? Come on, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, our God is worthy to be praised. The Bible says the redeemed of the Lord ought to say so. Yeah. Old preacher would say, if you know that you know that you know. We thank God for God allowing our moments to roll on just a little while longer. To those who are watching via the World Wide Web, let me thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the privilege of your time. Thank you for allowing us to inform your head, inspire your heart, and encourage your spirit to become all that God wants you to be. Remember, you're not watching to make me a big preacher or us a big church. We're here to help you become the biggest and best Christian you can possibly be. Like us, love us, share us with family members and friends. Let them know there's never been a better time for hope. Before we go any further, I want all of the veterans who are in the house to stand. We want to recognize you for your service to our country. All of the veterans, wherever you are. Yeah, come on, let's thank God for our veterans today. Now, tonight on Real World, Real Talk on my show on KTSU, we're going to be focusing on veterans affairs and benefits for veterans. Um, newer veterans don't have near the struggle that older veterans had, um, but these veterans have been struggling to get their ratings up. Um, it's cost them money. It's cost them medical care. And to be honest with you, it is a travesty. It is an injustice what our country has done and not done in support of our veterans. And so on tonight, we're going to be talking about the PAC Act and some things that have come down on the federal government side since January. A lot of people still don't know that these benefits are available. So if you know a veteran, man, please have them tune in, not just for veterans, but for their surviving spouses and their surviving dependents. Um, they're literally going back and recalculating now retroactively money that these veterans should have gotten for years and did not get. And so we're going to uh, be celebrating our veterans on tonight and talking about that and taking questions and helping connect people with what they stand in need of. I want to congratulate all of the students and parents who came out this weekend for the Horace Scholarship Fair. Um, our church was one of the sponsors of this with the Horace Scholars and Horace Academy and Dr. Uh, Dorsey. Uh, is one of our main contacts with them. And uh, we were at the A-Leaf Independent School District Talent Center on Friday. We were at Booker T. Washington on yesterday for the HISD students. We got to do a better job, but let me just say this. We had distributed over $20 million in scholarships on the spot to our young men and young women. Um, there were schools there 
Um, they could bring the transcripts. They could bring the SAT and ACT scores and schools like Payne College and Texas Tech. Uh, Prairie View was represented on Friday. Uh, Livingstone College, Howard Payne University were all present. And literally they were giving admissions on the spot and then scholarships on the spot. And we saw some young people walk out who had no idea how they would pay for college with a full scholarship to colleges. So HBCUs were in the house, um, PWIs were in the house as well. So it was just a great, great two day event. And I wanna thank my wife uh, for giving great leadership and helping to coordinate that. And uh, again, looking forward to the great things that's gonna happen in the lives of these young people. Um, last year, we had a young lady from Yates High School. She was Miss Yates, and she was trying to figure out where she was gonna go to college. Her mother was fighting cancer, and they came on last year, and she ended up getting a full 100% scholarship to Livingstone College. And, um, and this year, earlier this year, her mother passed away uh, from that fight with cancer. Uh, but she lived to see and make sure her daughter got into college and her tuition and everything is taken care of. And so we're thankful for that. Amen. I want to thank all of those who are part of our discipleship team. Um, the I Will um, discipleship groups have been absolutely tremendous um, for new members who have joined in between our Rooted and Grounded sessions. They've been able to connect with people, and that has been such a blessing. Uh, we've got Purpose Driven Life coming up in January. Now, I heard somebody say something, and, and you know, sometimes I, I understand that we talk before we think. Right? Sometimes we need, we need to put our mouth in park and let our mind get in gear first. Right? And uh, somebody said, wow, I'm, we don't purpose-driven life. Uh, well, we did that before. Man, we, we did that before like 18 years ago. <laughs> Wait a minute. And they said, we did it before. Like somebody said, Let's read the 23rd Psalm. I ain't reading the 23rd Psalm. I already read that before. Like you don't sit there and say, I read the Bible one time. I'm not going to read that again. That thing might change my life. You know, <laughs> you know listen, we, we have selected these various curriculums uh, and are moving them to a church-wide level because it has been demonstrated, testified, and proven that these were life-changing events. And here's what you need to understand. Um, the question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? And many times we hear differently depending on what we are going through in life, right? So there's some stuff you may hear in your, you might've heard Purpose Driven Life in your 30s, but it sounds a whole lot different in your 50s. You follow what I'm saying? So I want you to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do and how God wants to use you to be a blessing uh, to somebody else. Don't forget, you've got to do Rooted in order to come to Purpose Driven Life. Rooted is a prerequisite, foundational 
discipleship uh, path that you have to go through before you get to purpose-driven life. I want us to pray for the Gentry family. Uh, Brother Willie Gentry went home to be with the Lord. I want you to pray for his wife, Sister Gentry, and his daughter, Hilda. Um, you know, Brother Gentry is such a great, great man, a um, great pillar in our society, in our community, um, a lifelong educator, as was the rest of his family. And we certainly want to cover him in prayer. And then we want to remember the family of Reverend Darrell Rose. Reverend Rose's father, Pastor Gilbert Rose, went home to be with the Lord on last week. Both of their homegoings are going to be on Saturday, the 18th. Um, Brother Gentry's homegoing will be here, um, viewing at 12 noon, homegoing at 1, and Pastor Rose's will be at the Fellowship Church, and we'll make sure we have coverage for both of those. Uh, man, I'm so happy to see all of our visitors here. Let me just recognize uh, a couple. First of all, um, I'm, I'm grateful to God for this man. He's a friend, um, one of, if not the fairest judge. If you ever are in his court, um, you, you just smile because you know um, you're going to get a fair shake. Um, he stands for justice. He stands for right, um, regardless of race, creed, or color. And I'm happy uh, to be able to call him a friend, Judge Mike Engelhart. Stand up, Judge. I want everybody to see you, man. Appreciate you so much. He is a judge over the 151st District Court. And um, you, you don't have to worry about voting for him until March. But he just wanted to come by and visit with us on the day. And I'm grateful for him coming and sharing with us. Yeah. And uh, we have the Houston Coalition of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity worshiping with us this morning. Come on, all the brothers of Omega Sci-Fi, stand on your feet wherever you are. Come on, all the brothers visiting. I know we got some, come on, we got some dogs up in here. Come on now. Man, we're so grateful. Uh, this is part of the celebration of National Achievement Week, and we're grateful and thankful for their partnership. Um, brothers were partnering with us on yesterday as well as part of the Divine Nine, helping us with these scholarships. So we sure appreciate y'all. Now, there's a bunch of brothers sitting down. Who, who they represent? Huh? The, the men's ministry group. Well, stand up, all the brothers stand up. We're going to celebrate the brothers today. All the brothers stand up. All the brothers stand up. Yeah, come on. Matter of fact, all the men in the house stand up. All the men in the house stand up. Come on, sisters. Let's celebrate our brothers. Amen. Come on. Let's celebrate the brothers. Yeah. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all, man. Thank y'all for coming and sharing with us on today. Rooted and grounded, make some noise. For those of you who are watching, for those of you who are visiting, rooted and grounded as our discipleship culture, man, we are excited. Not about having church, not about going to church. We're excited about being church. And that's what we're going to talk about on today, man. Just excited about being used by God to make a difference in somebody's life. We've got a special testimony that we want to share today from one of our longtime members 
And it's just a blessing to hear somebody tell their story about what God is doing in their life. Let's hear our sister today. been coming to Good Hope over 40 years. I would get out of elementary school. Me and a group of kids would come from the neighborhood. We would come past Good Hope. The church mothers would be out there. They invited us into the church to Bible study. I joined Good Hope and I just started coming every Sunday. I would come in the morning and I would leave in the evening, in the night, two, three services. And later on, I got baptized by Reverend Kimball. And I kept asking the Lord to show me how to be more involved in the church because I was not involved in the church. I would just come as a silent member. So I was reading about Rooted and how the experience would lead me into knowing how to get involved with the church. Therefore, I joined Rooted and Grounded, and I started the meetings and the journaling. And the first meeting with my facilitator, I was watching her passionate about speaking about God. And I was thinking, I wonder how long does it take for that feeling to know how passionate you can be about God? One day, out of the blue, I, I just got overwhelmed with feelings and so I didn't understand it but I could feel the Holy Spirit coming because I asked God to send the Holy Spirit to me and to show me how to have that compassion strongholds oh my god my strongholds I didn't realize those things were called strongholds I didn't realize I was holding them so so hard and close to my heart I was able to know that I have to let them go. I cannot let them control me because the strongholds were really draining me and pulling me back and stopping me from doing things I wanted to do. A lot of things that I wanted to do to serve God more, those strongholds got in the way. There was a lot of outside things that were holding me back. But now I'm, I'm able to know that the Holy Spirit is with me, God is with me, and I'm just overwhelmed with the feeling and the passion that I have when I just couldn't understand how my facilitator displayed that. I didn't know how long it would take, but I understand that feeling. And I'm so grateful for the rooted and, and grounded that I know that God is with me and God has covered me and will be with me forever. Yeah, come on, let's thank God. Sister Ware, I want to thank God for her facilitator. Just happened to be my wife. 
um, was her facilitator. And I want everybody to know whether it's rooted or purpose-driven life um, or I will, uh, discovery seminars, man, everything that we do is intended to help you be the best that you can possibly be. Uh, it, is, it is far, far, far more important for you to be who God has created you to be than to come and watch somebody else do what God has called them to do and then you leave as if you were entertained. You do know most people uh, treat church like they treat clubs. You know, you know how folk treated clubs? Not, not that I've ever been, but folk have told me, you know, you know, when you, when you go to a club, you know, you, you, pay a, you pay a cover charge, right? And that cover charge, you know, you might have a two-drink minimum. That's what they told me. You might have a two-drink minimum when you go in, um, you know, get Topo Chico or something like that when you go in. Anyway, uh, when you go in, um, you go in and you pay the cover charge to be entertained, right? And you want to hear the singing or the band, whatever it is, jazz, R&B, whatever the music is, you go in to be entertained. And depending on, I was told, depending on the entertainment value and depending on the drinks, you know, because you don't want to go somewhere. As a friend of mine told me where they water down the drinks. You want to make sure the drinks are good. And if the drinks are good and the entertainment is good, you go back, right? And you're happy to pay the cover charge, but if it's not good, that's not where you go back to. And many of us, we come to church not for entertainment, but for churchtainment. And we come to sit and we want to see how good people sing, how good the pastor preaches. And then when we give our offering, in essence, it's our spiritual cover charge. And it all depends on how good the singing was and how good the preaching was. That depends what we give. And so our giving is based more on transaction than it is on transformation, right? And we've got to understand, man, that God has called us to so much more than just to come to church. He has called us to so much more than to just have good church. Uh, he wants us to be who he has created us to be. Because when we walk in our true being, then we can walk in our purpose. Somebody say he's already preaching. All right, let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time. Father, we bless you and thank you for today. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We pray now that everything that we do and everything that we say will be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So whether we like it or not, I think all of us would agree that we live in a world with challenges. Uh, we live in a world that is marked far too much by meanness, uh, by violence, uh, things happening that just don't make sense. Every time it seems like you turn on the news, you hear about uh, shootings and you hear about murders and you hear about rapes and you hear about uh, man's inhumanity to man. And the question on the table is, in the midst of those conflicts, how are you and how am I, as a believer, supposed to live? The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a 
peculiar people zealous of good works, that we have been saved as believers to be a peculiar people, to be a people that make a difference in the world. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've realized in life. I don't have the power, I don't have the influence or the affluence to change the entire world. But can I take responsibility to change my part of the world? Can I do my part to impact the concentric circles of contact that I have with people, with individuals, to help them be the best that they can possibly be? In the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and the Sermon on the Mount is the bigger pericope that that is a part of, Jesus begins to talk to the disciples, and then he shares with them, he gives them a picture of who they are, not who they are to become, but who they are once they have asked him into their lives. He says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we don't think about our saltiness or our brightness too often in life. We don't think about what that means and how that should play out. And so today, as we move into week 10 of our Rooted curriculum, week 10, we ask the question, why is the church important? Why is the church important? And coming out of the pandemic, there were many people who were crying and clamoring, saying, you got to come back to church. you got to come back to the building. And here's what we have failed to understand, and I hope all of you under the sound of my voice, those of you who are watching, will get this truth if you get nothing else. Every time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament, it never refers to buildings, it always refers to people. So even when Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, he is never talking about a building or a specific denomination. He is talking about people. Because you and I, who name his name, are the church. Why is church important? It's important because as a believer, you are the church. And you are the ones that God has placed in this world to help change our section of the world. So today, I want to take the first of those two images and I want to talk from the thought, how to be salt in a dying world. How to be salt in a dying world. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Four things I want you to see today very quickly that I hope will give you some insight into the difference that God wants you to make in the world. Here's the first thing. I'm embarrassed to show it to you, but it's right here in the text. Number one, you need to realize you are salt. You are salt. As a believer, as a child of God, you are salt. Matthew 5.13 says you are the salt. Stop right there. We don't need to know where you're salt. I just need to know what you are. I need you to know that you are salt. Now, in the ancient world, 
salt was one of the most highly valued things a person could have. The Greeks called salt divine. Uh, the Romans said there is nothing more useful in the world than sun and salt. One of the great compliments somebody could pay to you is if they said you were the salt of the earth because salt was seen to have value. Here's what's interesting. When Jesus says you are the salt, it's in the indicative mood, present tense, active voice. Salt is not something you become. Salt is something once you become a believer, you already are. So here's what Jesus says to you regarding both salt and light. I need you to be who I created you to be. It's not a sense of you having to become or hopefully you'll get to the place where you'll be salt. Jesus says you are salt. That's who you are. And he says, I need you to be who I created you to be. Here's the second thing. He says, not only realize you are salt, but number two, you need to realize you are the salt of the earth. He says, I not only need you to understand who you are in terms of your person, but I need you to understand where you are to have influence and impact in terms of a place. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, here's one of the things that I've learned. Christians, we become very preoccupied with getting to heaven. We like to sing songs about heaven and we talk about we're going to walk around heaven all day. We, we love to talk about heaven and when we will see Jesus in heaven. But here's what Jesus says. While you may be excited about seeing Jesus in heaven, he says, I need you to live in a way so people will see Jesus on earth. And people will see Jesus on earth when you realize that you have been placed here as salt to be the salt of the earth. Now, don't miss this. I don't need you to be the salt of the church. I don't need you to be salt in church. I need you to learn how to be the salt of the earth. Um, I went to a facility, um, city of Houston, and we went to this facility on something else, and I noticed this big, tall stack of stuff. It was gray, and I'm looking, and it's about three, four stories. I mean, it's huge. And I just asked the question, I said, what is that? And they said, oh, that's uh, salt that we're going to place on the roads uh, when we get bad weather. Um, that's going to help people, you know, fight black, black ice and, and not slip and slide on the roads. And, and you know, we don't get enough snow to, to buy snow tires, right? And, and so they said, you know, we want to make sure that people stay safe. Here, here's what I came to understand. That big pile of salt does nobody any good as long as it stays in that big pile, right? It's got to be distributed out on the hedges and highways, on the streets, on the byways in order for it, listen, to fulfill its purpose. We can sit in here and gather in here and be as salty as we want. 
but we do no good if our salt only shows up here and is never displayed in the world. Jesus says, you and I, we are the salt of the earth. Here's what we've learned. There are many different kinds of salt. There's kosher salt. There's sea salt, there's flake salt, there's smoked salt, there's seasoned salt, there's Himalayan salt, there's pickling salt, there's rock salt, table salt, there's black salt, there's pink salt, there's white salt. I mean, there's all kinds of salt. Here's one thing that all of those salts have in common. If they don't get out of the package and they don't get out of the box, they will do no one any good. Salt has to get out. Look at Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8. Let's read it together, if you will. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, changing the entire world may be impossible, but if you just make up in your mind to be salt and change your little corner of the world, you can make all the difference in the world. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Number three, you need to realize as the salt of the earth, you have the power to make a difference. Everybody say power. You have the power to make a difference. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? He said, there's something that should come out of you being salt. It's not just who you are, but salt is who you are supposed to be, and it should be part of your nature. Part of your nature. Now, Jesus, when he uses this salt as a picture of who we are, you got to realize he's using arguably the most valuable spice that the world knew. People literally bartered and traded and used salt as money. That's how important salt was. And Jesus says, you are the salt. You have the power to make a difference. Let me give you three ways that salt makes a difference and how you and I can make a difference. A, you must be a person of purity. See, salt was always viewed as something that was pure. That's something, watch this, that was not only pure in, in and of itself, but was pure in terms of how it impacted other things around it, right? There was a purifying nature to salt. And God says, if you're going to be salt, there are certain standards that you should have. In terms of how you interact with people, how you deal with people, it should be standards of honesty and, and diligence in terms of your work and conscientiousness and moral standards. And, and none of those things should ever be lowered because you are walking in who God created you to be. You are the salt of the earth. And you doing what's right many times will help other people 
stop doing wrong. Just by setting an example of how it should be done and what should be said. When you're salt, you become that positive change agent. But not only does salt purify, he says, B, you must be a person who preserves. You must be a person who preserves. Uh, you've heard the phrase, something is going to hell in a handbasket, right? And, and some would say the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, we, we live in a world where, where right is wrong and wrong is right. Um, you know, we are, we are confused as ever trying to figure out, you know, what, what is the line that we should not cross? What is the standard that we should uphold? And as a person who is salt, you preserve. You, you should keep things from going bad. You should keep things from getting worse. Who, who is the peacemaker? Who is the person who calms stuff down? Or are you the person who jumps in and as crazy as the person who started something? He says, no, 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 no. You got to learn how to be salt. Um, I can remember uh, on the farm that we had when it was hog killing time, uh, we, we would not have enough refrigerator space or freezer space to keep all the meat. And so we would take the hams, we would take the, the shanks, and we would take the bacon. And my father would create a, a salt mixture and would inject them with salt to make sure that they didn't go bad. Uh, we would inject the bacon with salt, and then he would put uh, pepper and, and smear pepper on the meat to keep the flies off of the meat, right? And you remember there was a time, uh, some of you are old enough to remember before there was refrigeration. Uh, maybe the ice man would have to bring a block of ice every day or every two days. That's why they called refrigerators ice boxes because you'd have to get a block of ice and that's how you kept things cold and kept things from going bad. He says, no, salt is a preserver. Salt keeps things from going bad. He says, child of God, you are the salt of the earth. If anybody is going to keep it from getting worse, it should be you. If anybody's going to be the peacemaker, it should be you. If anybody's going to keep their, their wits about them when everything around them is going crazy, it should be you. Old man told me one time, he said, uh, Always remember, son, a man can lose any part of his body and live except his head. He said, when you lose your head, you got to die. And I looked at him. He said, just make sure you always keep your head. Just keep your head. Just keep calm. Keep your head. Here's the third thing. See, you must be a person who adds positivity to make living in the world better. Um, write down somewhere on your outline flavor flavor. Because arguably the greatest and most obvious quality of salt is that salt gives flavor to things. It makes things taste better. Now, here's the truth. <coughs> the truth is when people think about Christians, <coughs> they don't think about people who add flavor to life. They think about people who take flavor from life. Um, <clears throat> the Roman emperor Julian said, have you looked at these Christians closely? 
hollow-eyed, pale-cheeked, flat-breasted, all they brood their lives away, unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they desire it not. All their desire is to renounce and suffer that they may come to die. That great American statesman Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Robert Louis Stevenson once entered in his diary as if he was recording some extraordinary phenomenon. He said, I have been to church today and am not depressed. Mahatma Gandhi said he might have been a Christian, except for the Christians he met. He had no problem with Jesus. He had no problem with Christ. He had no problem with the message of love. He just had a problem with the people who represented him. My brothers and my sisters, we are known in too many circles as the driest, deadest people in the world. No joy, no life, no fun, no nothing, no smile, no laugh. And he says, no, you are the salt of the earth. You have been given love, which means what? We should give loves to others. You have been given peace, which means what? You should be a person who brings peace with you. You have been given joy. So guess what? You should be a joyous person. He says, Just be who I created you to be. Because when salt shows up, salt makes a difference. It makes a difference in people's lives, and he makes a difference in the world. And remember, there is no salt other than your salt. Your salt matters. Your salt makes a difference. Look at Mark 9.50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Colossians 4.6, let's read it together. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here's the fourth and final thing. Number four, you must intentionally be salt by doing all the Lord commands you to do. You must intentionally be salt. Circle that word intentionally or underline that word. Look at the B part of verse 13, Matthew chapter 5. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus refers to salt, and he says, what good is it if it's, loose, if it's lost its taste or becomes bland? Now, somebody may ask the question, how can a Christian lose his or her saltiness? Now, here's the first thing we need to understand. Salt is a chemical formula. 
it is the result of combining one sodium with one chloride. So if you remove sodium or chloride from the equation or from the compound, then you don't have salt any longer. So salt, by its very nature, cannot be broken down to the point that it loses its saltiness or it is no longer salt. What is Jesus referring to? Here's what Jesus is referring to. While salt cannot lose its saltiness, salt can lose its influence when it stops interacting with what's around it. So let me see if I can make it plain. If I put a box of salt up here, you might assume because it is a box of salt that it's salty. But you don't know if it's salty and how salty it is until you do what? Taste it. If it never is tasted, then you can't testify to its saltiness. All you can do is report what you see, but not what you have experienced. Here's what Jesus says. As long as you stay in the salt box and you never allow your salt to interact influence and impact then you might as well have lost your saltiness and you are good for nothing because if the salt can't be salty then there's nothing for the salt to do except be thrown and trampled under somebody's feet Jesus says to you and to me how much will we allow ourselves to be who he created us to be. So for example, if you are around a group of people and they're speaking negatively about a person, place, or thing, they are excessive in their criticism of somebody, do you stand there and keep your salt in the salt box? Or do you start letting your salt out and say, hey man, there's another way. You know, it doesn't have to be that bad. Maybe, can you look at it this way? Right? Uh, he says you can lose your saltiness. When do we lose our saltiness? If I am salt, when do I lose my saltiness? Can I tell you when you lose your saltiness? When you don't love the way God loves. When you don't live in a way that pleases God. When you don't pray. When you don't serve. When you don't give. When you don't share your faith with others, when you don't work to make yourself and others better, when you don't make worship and living for God your priority, you are, in essence, saltless. It's not about who you are. It's about who you are being. Everybody get that? You, you get that difference, right? I can be salt and not be salt. So I've got to learn how to be who God created me to be. Why? Because uselessness is unacceptable to God. And in essence, here's what he says. If you're not the salt I've created you to be, then in essence, you are good for nothing. How many of y'all want to be a good for nothing Christian? Right? You say, wait a minute, what do you mean a good for nothing Christian? That's a Christian who comes to church but doesn't be church. You're a good-for-nothing Christian. You come to be entertained, not to be equipped. 
you're a good-for-nothing Christian. You come talking about, what is God going to do for me, instead of reacting or responding to what God has already blessed you with, you are a good-for-nothing Christian. When folk who need you to be salt and light are standing there and you refuse to be salt and you refuse to be light, you are a good-for-nothing Christian. You're good for heaven, but you're no good for earth. And Jesus says, no, I need you to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So if you have church and you go to church, but you're not being church, you are a good-for-nothing Christian. Look at James chapter 2, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Go down to verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith without works is a saltless faith. So I want you to be the salt God made you to be because the salt that God created you to be is needed to make a difference in this world and in the lives of people. Stories told of a father who had three daughters. His daughters all declared their love for their daddy. One daughter told her daddy she loved him more than all the gold in the world. Daddy smiled and gave his approval. Next daughter came, declared her love to her daddy. She said, Daddy, I love you more than all the silver in the world. Daddy looked at her and smiled, gave his approval. Third daughter came and said, Daddy, I love you more than salt. And he looked at her. He said, what? She said, I love you more than salt. She was so enthusiastic. I love you more than salt. And he gave her a quizzical look. She gave him a hug and she walked away. And he was like, what in the world was that about? Love me more than salt. The mother, hearing the declaration of the daughters, decided she would help her last daughter out. So when she cooked dinner that night, the mother cooked and used no salt in the preparation of the meal. Father looked at the meal. He said, man, this looks good. Got his fork and his knife, started digging in. Made a face. He said, man, this don't taste right. She said, what's wrong? He said, it has no taste, it has no flavor. I need some pepper, I need some salt. And then the mother told him that's what his daughter was driving at when she said she loved him more than salt. He said, what do you mean? She said, your daughter wanted you to know that nothing in life is good without you. Yeah. I want to encourage somebody today to be the salt that God made you to be. Can I tell you something I've learned? Our life group, we was talking about this past, this past week. Sometimes 
you give up who you know you are to fit in with groups that you want to be accepted by. And I want to encourage somebody today to be who God made you to be. Because the world needs your salt. Your little corner of the world needs your salt. Your family needs your salt. Your job, your workplace needs your salt. Your school needs your salt. They need you to be who God made you to be. And if anybody wanted to check to see what kind of Christian you are, just ask them to follow and check and see the kind of salt you are in the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We bless you for today. God, there's a real sense that the church today needs to be a salt factory because the world is in need of salt. Too much salt is being stored and locked up at the church. Not enough salt is being sent out into the world. And as a result, the world is not salted or flavored enough that in many instances we see a darkening and a decaying of the world that we live in. I pray now, God, that each person under the sound of my voice would leave here with the personal charge to be salt and light so that we can help this world and our corner of the world be the best that it can be. We love you and we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.